Baptist Church, Charlotte. Let me echo what you've already heard. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for uh, worshiping with us today. We're lucky to have uh, distinguished visitors such as yourself. Uh, feel right at home. We're just home folks. We're not fancy. We're just love to come together and worship the Lord together. We're honored to have you here today. And again, let me echo first steps. Uh, this is the lesson um, that really is talking about how your life would be better if you would connect with the local body of Christ and not just have a type of theoretical um, commitment to a belief system, but get a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I am uh, working with Tiffany today, teaching that class, and uh, she will do most of the work. I am just a pretty face to show up and, uh, you know, be fancy. That's don't start wolf whistle, and there's, I, I'm 15 years past that now. That's... <laughs> At this age, it's more of a, a mocking than anything else, and that would just hope, that would just hurt my feelings, y'all. So, no, God bless you. All. I love you today. I just want to, if at all possible, I want to throw our collective church heart at all of you. Um, if you are not uh, connected some way, the best way uh, to get to know people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, is to serve together. That is the biblical way to get to know each other. And so we work really hard to try to get you into the inner circle of the church, the serve circle. Um, after you visit a little bit, um, after you've gotten to know us a little bit, we want to get you involved. Um, you have to find your people. <laughs> In any group of people, you have to find your people. Um, once you have friends, once you have family connection, you don't just know, but you are known. And really, a church never feels like family unless you, are, you both know others and you are known yourself. And so the way we do that is by creating groups for you to get together and either serve or learn and grow. So consider this um, our equivalent of passing a note in the elementary class that says, hi, my name is Pastor Nathan. Do you like me, yes or no? And if you circle the or, I pray you stub your toe, okay? Um, that's what I always did. I circled the or and sent it back, you know, uh, arguing with my alternate self. No, uh, we, we're so glad to have you here today. It is our honor to have guests here today. We have the Tackett's, brother and sister Tackett. This is, so you will know, yes, yes, I'm sorry to talk into your uh, applause there. Um, this is uh, my older sister, Melody, who, uh, along with her husband, Glenn Alicio, pastor the worship center in Greensboro, who many of you know, they have preached for us many times, and just a few months back they were here. This is their daughter and son-in-law, and we are honored to have them here ministering. Uh, Savannah led worship this morning, and in just a moment, um, uh, Brother Jonathan is going to uh, be preaching. Um, I am honored to introduce him, uh, as I told the 9 a.m. service, the highest dignitary introduction we could give in Bible school is we'd introduce people as a reverend doctor, not just the reverend, uh, but reverend doctor. Well, uh, I very rarely have had a chance in my life to introduce a real reverend. Reverend Doctor, but today it's my privilege to introduce Reverend Doctor Jonathan Taggett. My brother, come make yourself at home. We're honored to have you. Put your hands together, lift your voice in praise to God. Let's receive our brother today in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you. It's so good to be here. Your pastor and his wife are some of the kindest, nicest 
people on the earth. And ever since I married into the family, almost five years ago, uh, and before I was engaged, got married to Savannah, they were, have always been so kind. And that, that, that is my first, and I would say probably the most important memory that I have of them is just their kindness. And they, in that way, expressed true Christian belief and attitude toward others. So I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful. I mean, he, he always um, has a great sense of humor and goes over the top, but, but I am thankful for him and thankful to be here with all of you. I want to read to you a passage from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 7. We're going to read several verses. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. 2 Kings 7, we're going to start at verse 1, read several verses, then skip down to a few verses later. 2 Kings 7 and 1 says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow, about this time... Everyone say this time. A measure of fine flour will sell for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. That is Israel. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But Elisha said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now four men who were lepers were at the entrance of the city's gate, and they said one to another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we say we sit still here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the army of the Syrians. If they spare us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose in the twilight and went to the Syrian camp. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no man was there. For the Lord had made the Syrian army hear a noise of chariots and horses, the noise of a great army. And they had said to one another, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to come upon us. So the Syrians arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, horses, donkeys, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them in the darkness. And then they entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid it. Now skip down to verse 15. They, this is the king's servants, went after them to the Jordan, went after the Syrian army. And all the way was strewn with clothing and equipment which the Syrians had cast away in their flight. And the messengers returned and told the Syrian king and, and told the Samar um, king of Samaria, the Israelites. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. And so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, as the Lord had spoken through Elisha. The king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the starving people trampled him in the gate as they struggled to get through for food. And he died as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to him. The message that I want to give you today is to tell you about what, is God, what God is going to do for you this time tomorrow. Turn to your neighbor and say, this time tomorrow. 
Lord, I ask that you allow this word from you to fall on fresh, fertile soil. Let it accomplish that which it is sent to do. Allow us to feel your presence. Allow hearts to be transformed and minds to be renewed. Let us us see your glory in this place. In Jesus' name, renew our faith today. Amen. See, the prophet said in this passage of scripture the exact phrase, this time tomorrow. And God is very, very specific when he makes a statement. In this case, through the prophet Elisha. There is no uncertainty with God. He knows exactly when your moment of victory is, a, is going to happen. He knows exactly the circumstances. He's got it down to the exact millisecond. There's no ETA with God. There's no estimation. There's no approximation. When he said this time tomorrow, he doesn't mean sometime tomorrow. He doesn't mean around this time tomorrow. Not like the delivery guy between this time and this time. Not some unknown certainty. It's an absolute certainty. By this time tomorrow. You can count on it. That's the way it's going to be. This time tomorrow. Now it's important anytime you read the Bible or anything for that matter, to know the context in which it is written. The context of our passage of scripture in chapter 7, 1 Kings, can be found going backwards one chapter in chapter 6. And what you'll find if you read this story is that the king of Syria was at war with Israel. And there's a very popular story in chapter 6 that many of us have heard. And specifically, the king of Syria sets up his camp. And Elisha sends a warning to the king of Samaria, or Israel, not to go near there, that area of the enemy camp. So the king of Syria, the enemy, found out, got mad, and found out Elisha was the one who warned the king of Samaria. So the Bible says that he sent a great army in the night and surrounded the city of Dothan where Elisha was. And subsequently, Elisha's servant sees the enemy army of Syria and becomes terrified. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And the Bible says that the eyes of his servant were opened and he saw a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. But Elisha prayed that the Lord would smite the enemy with blindness. With blindness, not smite them to kill them. Then he brings them back to the king of Israel or Samaria, blinded, and then he prays for the Lord to open their eyes again, and he does. And so the king of Israel then asks Elisha, Should we kill the enemy army? And Elisha says, No, feed them and send them on their way back. Halfway through chapter six, it says, Then some years later or afterwards, some time later, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, gathers his, this time, not a great army, but his whole army and besieges Samaria, perhaps to get revenge, perhaps because he never let go that he lost the first battle and his army came back fed, blinded, but eyes opened again, and he was just upset, or whatever the reason, he then sent his whole army to besiege Samaria. And then that leads us up to our text. And now, during this time when Syria was besieging the city of Samaria, things were extremely bad. People were starving. The Bible says a great famine came to Samaria. They were eating animals they normally wouldn't eat. 
they were selling donkey heads, the Bible says, for 80 shekels of silver. Now, a donkey was unclean to the Israelites, so it normally would not be eaten unless it was extremely dire circumstances as a last resort. And its head would have been the worst and cheapest part. And they're selling remnants of a donkey for food. And some theologians say they were even selling animal excrement for food. So it's really, really, really bad now. There's no food, no water. Resources are scarce. The king of Samaria is walking on the city walls and he sees a woman crying out because she actually, the Bible says, boiled and ate her own son. It's terrible. The king gets so mad, he wear, the Bible says he puts on sackcloth. And maybe this is to avert God's anger for, this, for how bad this is. But technically, the Bible does not say that the king actually had any penitence or, or woefulness or sorrow in his heart or self-humility. It never says that. But then he turns right around after that and says to Elisha, or about Elisha, the very words that his mother said about Elijah. Now, the king's mother was Jezebel. Jezebel was a very, very wicked woman. And he mirrors the words that his mother said about Elijah, about the prophet Elisha now. And he says... May God do so to me, and more also if the head of Elisha shall stand on him this day. So after he sees the woman moaning about what she did, he threatens the prophet. And then shortly thereafter, the four lepers that are at the city's gate decide to just go to the enemy camp. They have nothing else to lose. If they're in the city, they're going to starve. The Syrians, they might kill them, but they're going to die either way. But when they get there, the Syrian army is gone because the Lord made the Syrian army hear a noise of chariots and horses, the noise of a great army. And they said to one another, the enemies, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to come upon us. So the Syrians arose and fled for their lives. And then the Israelites went and got the spoils of the enemy's camp. These two chapters in 2 Kings highlight the importance of having spiritual senses. Spiritual senses. We all know the five senses we have, but these highlight the importance of spiritual senses. And there's a lot of spiritual sensing going on in these two chapters because Elisha prays for his servant to have spiritual vision to see an army that's surrounding them to defend them in chapter 6. And in chapter 7, the enemy army hears chariots and horses' hooves that they can't see with their natural eyes. The enemy here was stuck with only their natural senses. So their assumption wasn't even that the army of God was coming and marching on them. They assumed that the Israelites had hired the Egyptians to come and defend them. They were stuck with only a natural explanation for a supernatural event, incorrectly. See, when you can only use physical senses, you miss seeing the army that God has surrounding you to protect you. You, when you only use your physical senses, you don't have spiritual vision and you can't see if there's a spiritual attack coming. 
You can't see God's protection on your life. You can't hear his voice. You can't recognize a lie from the enemy from a voice of truth. You can't hear God's voice. You can't feel a touch from the king of kings if you don't have spiritual senses that are at work. Somebody needs to pray for themselves today that they can have their spiritual eyesight and ears opened. Amen? We got to be able to see spiritually and hear spiritually, not just physically. Now, in siege warfare, a one army would lay siege or essentially trap in an, a, a city or a group of people inside a city walls. And in doing so, the people in the city or inside the walls are prevented from going out and they use up all their resources, basically just starving them out. So they use all their food and water and, they re, and the result of that physically is the bodies get weak of the people that if you don't, how many know that if you don't eat, you feel weak? Okay. Some of us might need to fast and just test it out and see what it's like. But the body gets real weak if you don't eat. And so not only are these people not eating and getting weak from from just being bereft of basic nutrients, but they're also having weakened immune systems. And they are reverting to eating and drinking things that they normally wouldn't eat and drink. And there's some original documents from soldiers and civilians in sieges that state they actually started drinking sewer water for water. I mean, this is really, really bad. If you're eating animal excrement and you're drinking sewer water, they're eating waste and trash just to try to stop the hunger pain in your belly. And so because they're doing these things, they're starting to get sicker and sicker and getting sicknesses and diseases that they normally wouldn't get. In other words, they get susceptible to opportunistic infections. Infections that only come on you if there's an opportunity for them to. Normally you wouldn't get them, but because there's an occasion where your body's weaker than usual, they can get in. And they become... And, and infected with these type of diseases that normally they wouldn't get. And so people are dying of starvation and disease and, and just filth and they can't even take the bodies outside the city because they're trapped in. So the Bible says they start burying them in ditches inside the city, which contaminates more of the water supply, causes disease to spread even more. It starts smelling in there, getting nastier and nastier. Bodies decaying. I mean, this is really bad. I'm not trying to be too graphic, but this is a serious problem for someone who's stuck inside during a siege. And things are going from bad to worse. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know who in here under the sound of my voice this applies to, but someone has felt like they have been trapped by the enemy. And you are stuck inside your, your four corners of your house, inside the corners of your mind, the four walls that's between your ear and ear. And the devil's got you trapped in there and you're surrounded and stuck and isolated and you're drained dry. And you can't even feel any joy or peace because you feel so suffocated from being under siege. And it's caused you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. You started to eat things that you wouldn't normally eat spiritually. You've done things you never thought you would do. The enemy's got you so sick in your body and messed up in your head that you're doing things unthinkable. You've been starving for so long, you started doing things that any human would think are inconceivable. You're trying to quench thirst from things that can't do it. You've been praying, but you're praying all the wrong things. Praying for God to fix the enemies on the outside, when really what we need to do is pray that he opens our spiritual senses on the inside of the city. Clap your hands to the Lord. 
We need to pray that God allows a fresh anointing to fall on our eyes and our ears so we can see what he sees and hear what he hears. The truth is there's so much sickness inside the kingdom that we have to have emergency intervention just to get better so we can see. Because we've been infected with opportunistic spirits. Opportunistic infections are often, not infrequently, parasitic in nature, meaning they're parasites that actually get their life by feeding off of yours, by sucking life out of you, sucking nutrients out of you. Parasites live off of others. And if you give in to a small negative thought, it can lead to a worse one. What am I saying? Some of us have been giving in to doubt and fear and hopelessness, and then we start having suicidal thoughts. Am I preaching to anyone in here today? Someone's been watching so much fantasy and playing fantasy video games, you don't know the difference between reality and fiction. Uh-oh. Someone's been giving in to gossip, and now you've got a spirit of Jezebel, and you don't even know it. You've been listening to sad music all day, this melancholy, dramatic music, and then wondering why you're sad all the time. And now you get a spirit of depression on you. Don't do the small thing because it can lead to a bigger one down the road. You need to allow God to open your spiritual senses so that you can tell the difference between hopelessness that the devil makes it look like is surrounding you and the reality that those that are for you are greater than those who are against you. Come on. The enemy's been trapping someone in here in a siege for a long time. And then within your own walls of your home, you felt isolated. And the devil's been draining you dry of your joy and your peace. And you haven't been able to see outside without just looking at all the negative events of the world going on. All you can see is the enemy camping all around about you. You see all the, 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 the current events, all the problems, and you get depressed and terrified of the enemy on the outside, and you can't fathom stepping outside the walls. There might be someone in here who barely, just barely is able to step out their door every day for fear of whatever else is out there. I'm talking about fear of, of, of trauma, fear of injury, fear of peril, fear of sickness, fear of viruses. Oh, God, help us. You can't even get outside your house without being consumed in a spirit of fear. And you think it's just your lot to sit in here and starve out and wait it out inside the walls. Come on now. The problem of staying inside the walls, though, is that you start looking for problems inside and you start seeing imperfections in the church and other people. You start looking for problems in family members. You start being critical of your family who are there, the only ones who are actually going to be there for you on your deathbed. And then we start being critical of family and backstabbing our friends, stealing from each other. We don't have a word of hope for anyone. And you see all these th things happening and you start to feel desperate and wondering if God ever heard you or even cares about you. And you keep turning on the news thinking it's going to help. Oh, Lord, don't turn on the news if you need help and hope. Don't do that. I'm not saying be ignorant and uninformed, but I am saying that if you're going through something, a battle in your head, and the enemy's telling you that there's no hope, do not turn on the news because you're not going to get it there. 
When you feel hopeless, you need to look up and say, God, anoint my eyes again. Let me see something that's going to nourish me. Let me receive a word from you that's going to sustain me. Let me get something that's going to give me some sustenance in my belly and feel like I can go another day. You're not going to get that if you look to the world. You're not going to look. You're not going to get that if you look around to others and people. You got to look to God. Somebody's let the devil convince them there's no way out. Well, I'm here to tell you today there is a way out. Just wait. This time tomorrow. The word of the Lord is this time tomorrow. God's going to do a miracle for you on your behalf. If you believe it, clap your hands to the Lord right now. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. This time. This time. This God is going to do a miracle for you on your behalf if you will just hold on to faith. This time tomorrow, the enemy's going to scatter because the Lord's going to make them hear an army that they can't even see. That's what the word says. Now, in this story, the captain of the guard of the Israelites for the king expresses doubt. And Elisha says that he will see a miracle of abundance happen. He'll see the miracle happen, but he will not partake of it. And the thought occurred to me, why? Why would Elisha pass this type of terminal judgment or prophecy to the king who just tried to have him killed? Why, why would he not do it to the king who just said, I want Elisha's head? Why would he not do it to the enemy army? Why would he not do it to the woman who committed this abomination by eating her own child? Why the captain of the guard? Why did he say, you're going to see it, but you won't get to partake of it? He's the only one in the whole story that the Bible says was killed when there was plenty of reason to have others killed. Why? It's because he demonstrated a complete lack of faith. Complete and total lack of faith. Now, I'm here to tell you, faith is so crucial because it activates the spiritual senses. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because it is the lens that you look through to see the miracle happening. You're blind without faith. You can't see spiritually without faith. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In fact, in this story, there was so much displeasure at the lack of faith from this captain that it cost him his life. Y'all didn't know lack of faith could be so deadly. Questioning God's ability to perform a miracle is dangerous. But this man said that, this captain, but don't you know the people inside the city must have had doubt? We've all had doubt at times whether or not God was listening, thought our prayers were going up to heavens of brass. They were just bouncing back down and God. We've all experienced that. How many of us have experienced that? Be honest with yourself. You see, sometimes God kills any doubt in the room to protect his people because he knows how fragile, how weak, how starving and hungry his people are. Other times he lets doubt live just long enough to be proven wrong and then he kills it. Either way, for you under the sound of my voice, doubt has no place in your mind. Doubt has no place in the kingdom. I'm going to say it again. Doubt has no place in the kingdom of God. A lack of faith has no place in the kingdom. You cannot please God without faith. That's what the Bible says. The miracle you've been praying for, I'm here to tell you, is just on the other side of crushing your doubt. The miracle that you need 
the deliverance that you need, the salvation that you need, the physical healing you need is just on the other side of you being able to look through faith, of you being able to take the blindness and the cloudiness of quote unquote reality. Oh, well, I just live, well, you just living in the cloud, but I don't, I mean, you know, I know he's just, I know this is just reality. He, he doesn't understand. Too often we talk about, well, this is just reality. Miracles happen each and every day. Too often we hide behind the information that we have, the information age. Oh, God bless humanity. He's allowed us to have knowledge and wisdom and, and things of this world and discover new things. But if we are not careful, it, information will, will force us to be so dependent on what we know. That is the opposite of faith. If you can see it, touch it, feel it, that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What am I saying? Don't get up there and look at all your diagnosis and the prognosis and the percentages and the rates of cure and all this junk. Don't do it because it's only going to mess up here. The devil's going to use that information to tell you things like there's no hope, like you're not going to make it. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but I am saying that you better be very, very careful because the tendency will be to rely on information. Rely on what man tells you is possible. And then that in turn, you have no faith. You have no spiritual vision. You have got to allow yourself to trust in God and not man. Look, I, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, I have, I'm, 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 a, I'm a doctor, okay? I've seen miracles happen. Many of us have heard or have personal stories where we hear people that say, well, the, the doctor said he didn't know what happened. How many of us have had something like, or heard a story like that? Well, they don't know what happened. It's just, it just is gone. That happens every day. And it's not because of something that man did. They'll do all but admit it. They just say, I don't know. How many of you have been to the doctor and all they give you is a bunch of different ways of saying, I don't know? <laughs> Trained to give you all these statistics and oh, well, there's this percent chance of this and this percent chance of this. And that's great. And I, don't get me wrong. I believe in medicine, okay? You're not going to find someone who believes in it more. But what I am telling you is that while you listen to the doctor, while you take whatever medicine or do whatever they say that you need to be doing, you better be grounded in your faith and say, okay, you better be able to listen to a negative report and not let it consume your mind with fear and say, but those that are for me, but God is with me. But I know in whom I have believed. But my God healeth all my diseases. But by his stripes I am healed. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind, over my body. I plead the blood of Jesus over my baby. I plead the blood of Jesus over my son, my daughter, my family. You better believe. You better have faith. You better know in whom you have believed. Because this world is going to tell you all kinds of junk and the devil's going to use it to squash faith. And I'm here to tell somebody today, you need to get a hold of God and believe in, in what he's going to do for you so strong. This time tomorrow, that you got to squash that doubt. Don't let the devil tell you it's not possible. Hallelujah. Elisha said, this time tomorrow. And the captain doubted it. And he was trampled by the people of Israel. Now, if you remember, the, the Bible said that the enemy heard the sound of an army, the sound of marching feet and horses' feet, and they fled. 
And it occurred to me, it's interesting that the same method for striking fear and driving out the enemy without killing them is the exact same method by which doubt was trampled and killed. It's the stomping of feet. It's the running to victory. If you just sit in the confines of your own mind, in your house, in your chair, and you don't start activating your spiritual senses through faith. Oh, I'm messing with somebody. If you don't start activating your spiritual senses and allow God to touch you and show you things that the human eye can't see, then you are going to be consumed by doubt and fear and you will not run to the victory. I'm here to tell you today, you got to run to your victory. You got to go get it. You got to run like the children of Israel out the city's gates and go get the. Someone in here is about to trample on their doubt. Someone today is getting what I'm saying and they're going to crush the hopelessness that's been telling them that there's no hope. That's good. They're going to they're going to run right to victory and in the process crush all doubt and fear and hopelessness. I said crush, stomp on, obliterate their doubt on the way to victory. But it takes movement. It takes action. It takes a forward momentum to get to victory. But you can't see that if all you rely on is what your physical senses say. What am I saying? If you want victory, you got to go get it. You say, well, doesn't God give the victory? He already gave it to you. See, the devil likes to tell you that because of your circumstances and because of the situation you're in and the, the environment around you and because of this, that, that, that you have no hope and there's no victory. Honey, the battle was won on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. The devil doesn't have victory and he knows it. But he's been lying to you and you start to believe a lie that you don't have victory. Someone needs to say, devil, you can tell me stuff. You, you can change my circumstances, but you can't change the outcome because I have the victory through Jesus and I'm going to get it in faith hallelujah someone pray for themselves God touch my mind touch my eyes touch my ears I'm going to run to my victory hallelujah you got to cut out dead faith like cutting out dead tissue because death is contagious in this setting. A lack of faith is contagious. That's why when someone comes up to you and starts gossiping and spilling a bunch of filth by the mouth, you need to stop them and say, listen, I, I love you and I support you, but I don't need to hear that. But I will tell you that God is bigger than whatever it is you're going through. I don't have to know the nitty-gritty details to know that my God is able and willing to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. That's our God. Oh, somebody needs to crush their doubt with a shout of victory right now. Shout hallelujah in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I speak the name of Jesus over your life. I speak the name of Jesus over your distress. I speak the name of Jesus over your disease. I speak the name of Jesus over your children. I speak the name of Jesus over your finance. I speak the name of Jesus over your destiny. Crush your doubt right now. Squash it in the name of Jesus.
Some of you have been fighting a good fight for a long time. You've been a good soldier and you've been walking in faith, but in your, in, in your persistence, you, you've allowed hopelessness to get on you. I said someone that's been fighting a good faith and doing a good job for a long time has allowed the devil to start whispering trash in your ear such that you start believing it. It's a lie. The devil's a liar. He knows he's the loser in the end. He knows it. He can't beat you ultimately. But if he can get you to believe his trash then you defeat yourself. God wants to heal you today. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to heal your thought process. He wants to create a paradigm shift for you from reality. Come on. I studied this stuff, okay? I learned this stuff. I got to say this stuff to patients. Well, the science says this, but I'm here to tell you I know a God that can do this. You need to speak life to somebody. Someone needs to start speaking negative and speak life. Reality is only reality if you let it be. Reality is not the same to God. God's reality is all things are possible to him that be believes, 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 believe it. God's saying, let me heal your body. Let me give you rest. See, we want to pray for God to fix everyone else outside, to, uh, outside of us. Oh, God, you need to fix the enemy. And this brother there, whew, boy, he's got problems. I'm telling you, God, you, you need to do an... I'm so glad you were here today to hear that message because God really needed to talk to you. Oh, be careful. Somebody got a fence in their house and you're letting it sit there while you go and play the part giving gifts at the altar. You better leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother first. David said it like this. Search me, O Lord. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Jesus said the outside of the cup looks beautiful, but the inside is filthy. You need to get inside. We need to get the inside of the city right. We need to get the inside okay. Within the confines of here to here, we need to get it clean and pure, full of good things. The Bible says whatsoever is good, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is wholesome, whatsoever is of good report. Think on these things. Stop thinking about fear. Stop thinking about what can't happen. Stop thinking about what people tell you. Stop telling yourself that there's no hope. Because if you believe it, you can't get the victory. Now, stay with me. Elisha, the prophet, was in the city walls. And he was in the exact same circumstances, the, the, the despair, the starvation. He was in that exact same setting. The prophet was. But the Bible says, Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat with him. And I read that and I thought... What? Elisha's sitting down with the elders inside his house. Women in the streets are moaning because they ate their own children. People are starving, dying, sick, disease. Terrible. Under siege. And Elisha's under siege too, but he's sitting around in his living room. I can just picture him talking about God's goodness. 
the grace of God. I'm talking about Elijah, his predecessor, his mentor, telling stories, talking about current events, talking about the seas, talking about different things, discussing about how wicked the king is. And there's this massive army outside, possibly there for months to years, trapping them in. But Elisha, just relaxing, cool, calm, and collecting. You see, when you know who your God is, when you know that he who is for you is greater than he that is against you, when you've seen the army with your spiritual eyes that God has surrounding you, when you know that he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the great I am, the El Shaddai, when you know that he's your provider, when you know that he's the creator of the ends of the universe, he flung the stars into the sky, the sun, the moon, he created the galaxies, when you know who your God really is, you don't have to be afraid. Someone under the sound of my voice is going to get this. Your God is bigger than the enemy. Oh, but brother, he's the prince of power of the air. He's got spirits and wickedness and high places and all of this stuff. Yes, but he's no match for our God. The victory is yours. The battle is declared won. But you have to see it. And you have to believe it. The devil cannot stop the victory. He can only stop you from running to it if you let him. Oh, God, help us. You know who Jehovah Nisi is. The Lord is my banner. He'll hold it up when I'm surrounded by enemies. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? When it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall nakedness or peril or tribulation or affliction or calamity or persecution or hunger? Shall a siege or destitution or peril or sword? Nay, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gained surpassing victory. That's my God. That's my king. Someone shout, that's my king. That's my God. He is for you, not against you. So in the midst of starvation and problems and all the the trash that's going on in the world around you, you can relax because you know that he'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So when you know that those that are for you are greater than those against you, you just wait for the moment of victory that's coming. You just wait for God to dispatch his armies. You wait for him to provide. Somebody say this time tomorrow. This time to say it like you believe it. This time tomorrow. Who's got a problem they're facing right now? Who wants to see victory? Now say this time tomorrow like you're going to get it this time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. Elisha had already seen a mountain full of horses and chariots in chapter 6. And I believe that the army of chariots and horses that the enemy heard was the same army army that Elisha saw. And he prayed for his servant that his eyes would be open to see it. I believe it was the same heavenly army ready to strike at the command of the Lord. I can just picture God giving the order to Michael, the archangel, charge forward. Scare the enemy. See, Elisha was not worried about the enemy. God takes care of the enemy. He already has. The enemy's not the problem. The problem is what's inside the walls. The problem is what's going on in your head. The problem is the doubt and the fear that's here. That was the wickedness that Elisha proclaimed was a problem. 
And, and the king, when he hears the woman moaning, uh, who ate her son, gets so angry that he blames God for it and he demands the head of Elisha the prophet, just like his wicked mother Jezebel. So he sends someone to Elisha's house and Elisha locks him out and won't let the man in. Then the king follows behind, comes and banging on the door angrily says, this evil is from the Lord. Why do we keep waiting for something good to happen? What else is there to do? There is a spirit in this age that says things are going to continue like they always have. This is just another cycle. It's not just another cycle. One of these days, the trump is going to sound and the Lord is going to call up his people to go to heaven. Do you believe it? Yeah. It's going to happen. We're in the Lord's, we're on the Lord's side. He's on your side. Amen. I'm talking about a God who dispatches armies to strike terror in the enemy's camp. But wouldn't it be nice if God just killed the enemy? Wouldn't it be nice if he just slaughtered them? Let's just say... Let, let, let's just say that we want to stay inside our kingdom and let God take care of all the bad guys out there so we can go on living our comfortable lifestyle. Let God do all the fighting out there so we can just chill in here. Enemy surrounds us, besieges us, and we think God's left us because they're still alive out there. God hasn't left you. God never has had his eye off of you. He's been watching you from the moment you were born. Every step you took, every mistake you made, he was with you, he was watching you, he was waiting for you to look up to him so he could pick you up and get you started back on the path of righteousness. How many know that God sometimes didn't answer your prayer just the way you thought, but he had something better in mind for you? Something better. How many have had an evidence in their life that God had something even better in store than what you had pictured. Anyone had something like that happen? God's going to do more than what you even think is possible. God has better plans for the enemy. See, he, he lets them hear a supernatural event taking place, even though their assumption was it must have been an army from Egypt that Israel hired. And they get so afraid, they don't even think to take their stuff with them. The Bible says they left their food and all of their possessions and their equipment, not even their gold or silver, or their belongings. They leave it all behind. And then they strip as they're running and leave their clothes and equipment behind. As the Bible says in verse 15, there were clothes strewn all about from the enemies running away. God literally scared them out of their own clothes. <laughs> God just doesn't get rid of the enemy, but he pours abundance and blessing on his people. Does anyone need that in here today? Does anyone want that in here today? God gives them a new set of clothes and garments, new weapons, new equipment, food and nourishment and sustenance and gold and riches. That's what happened. And if God had killed the enemy, all those clothes that the Israelites got would be ruined with all that nasty blood. See, God gives the children of Israel the weapons of the enemy. And I'm here to tell you today that God's about to take what the enemy meant for evil and take his weapons from him and give them to you so that you can start exacting a vengeance on him with the sound of faith and victory. What am I saying? The enemy only has you in his, in his hand if you believe him. He actually in reality, in the real reality, does not. But you have got to have faith enough to believe it and to see it. Because this time tomorrow, the Bible said the bread was cheaper than it was now. 
God's about to transplant wealth like he did in the Israelites, a transplantation of food and abundance and prosperity. The definition of prosperity is abundance. See, these people had more food than they had money after they went and took all that the Syrian army had. This time tomorrow, bread was cheaper than it started. In other words, there was more supply than there was demand. Any economic people in the house. There was more supply than demand because God is the God of supply and demand. He manipulates it how he chooses. That's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. John said it like this. I sent you to reap a crop for which you have not toiled. Other men have labored, but you have stepped in to reap it and the results of their work. In other words, in the space of one day, God can turn everything around in your situation. You've been going through a problem for a long time, but I'm here to tell you that this time tomorrow, in the course of 24 hours, God can do the miraculous on your behalf. He can do the miraculous for your family. He can bring deliverance to his people. Just 24 hours, God can turn your starvation into abundance. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it. One day can change everything. The prophet said, this time tomorrow, and when he spoke the word of the Lord that the famine would turn to feast, the captain doubted and said, if the Lord should make the windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And then the starving people trampled him and killed him on their way to to the abundance that God had made for them. There is no room for fear. There is no room for doubt. There is no room for weakness of faith. The Bible says he's given to each of us a measure of faith. And some of us have had circumstances that have weakened our faith. You need to pray for yourself that the Lord will strengthen your faith and give you a new measure of faith, give you a double portion of that confidence in who he is. See, God supplied the whole kingdom of Samaria with food and equipment and supplies in such abundance that there was a surplus. Anyone want a surplus? Does that sound good to anyone? You want a surplus? You want to have to worry about the same stuff you've been worried about? And it all happened in just one day. God set loose the captives with just a sound. Enemy didn't even fight to defend themselves. They just were so afraid that they fled out of their clothes. And you're looking around thinking that because you don't see enemy troops dying and falling that God's not getting you out of the bad situation. God's already sent the enemy to flee. Their camp's already empty. I'm telling you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that God has already defeated the enemy. And all you have to do is go get the equipment, the supplies, the abundance that he left behind. The devil does not have the power over you when you have faith in God. Your nourishment is right there waiting for you to get it. He's going to give you all the enemy stuff. Someone's getting ready to walk into their blessing today. Someone's getting ready to see a miracle happen today. To get a job that they've been praying for. And one better than what they thought they could have gotten. Someone's getting ready to raid the enemy's supplies. Getting ready to walk into a new blessing and prosperity. Someone's getting ready to get a new car, a new house. Something that that you've been needing for a long time. God's getting ready to bless you with. Treasures that you didn't store up. Blessings that you didn't earn. Not just enough to get by. Not just enough to live another day. Not just a sip of water. Not just enough to make it another week. No, but an abundance so that the cost of things is even less than normal. Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He alone controls the ends of the universe. That's my God. That's my king. He defeated Satan on the cross. 
You ask God to pay the bills, he's going to give you the blessing of a wonderful job that can do more than that. Job said it like this, God, you had two wonder, things too wonderful for me in mind. Things too wonderful for my mind to comprehend. Somebody say, this time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. Someone needs a miracle and it's going to happen this time tomorrow. But you got to get rid of doubt. You have to trample on it. You have to destroy it. You have to crush it. You have to work your faith and exercise your faith. Hebrews 5 says that you have to exercise your senses for spiritual discernment. We're talking about spiritual senses, spiritual vision, spiritual hearing. You got to exercise them and train them and strengthen them. And you know how you do it? By this. You do it by clapping. You do it by shouting with a voice of triumph and a voice of victory. That's the gateway to increasing faith and getting your victory because it's the substance of things not seen. That's why we raise our hands and shout. That's why we shout with triumphant glory because God is on our side and he's given us victory. Your physical eyes haven't seen it yet. But if you'll allow God to anoint your spiritual ones, you'll see it. You'll see it through faith. Somebody needs to praise for the miracle that's going to happen. This time tomorrow. Somebody needs to get a hold, to get a hold of a little measure of faith. Someone needs to get a hold of just a a scrap of all they have left and say, God, I know what the enemy's telling me, but I'm going to fight that urge to believe the doubt, and I'm going to say, I believe in you. And this time, tomorrow, I'm going to receive the victory in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, clap your hands right now. Musicians, come. There is a blessing. There is an anointing. There is a deliverance, a prosperity, and abundance that God has stored for you. And if you will allow him to anoint your eyes to see what he sees, then you can see the army that's around you, who's defending you, who's ready to strike at God's command. I'm telling you right now, if you have faith enough to believe it, you'll receive it. Do you believe it? Anyone in here right now under the sound of my voice, if you have a need, a physical need, I want you to come forward. Something physical that's going on in your life that you need a touch, and you know what the doctors have been telling you, but you just want a touch from God, from the great physician. Anyone that applies to, I want you to come forward. Anyone with a financial need, I want you to come forward. Anyone with a a, a need that is unmentioned today, I want you to come forward. Whatever needs you have, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that. You see, it doesn't matter how big the problem is. It doesn't matter what the enemy looks like. It doesn't matter how many horses or chariots the enemy has. Because those that are for you, you have to believe it. And you have to activate that faith by worshiping God. There is something, it's a law. I I can't explain it. It's like a physics law. When you worship God, he allows your eyes to see things that you normally wouldn't see. To hear things that you normally wouldn't hear. I'm here to tell you today, God is going to do the miraculous and the impossible through you. Because nothing is impossible with God. I want you to worship right now and get your faith activated. Crush your doubt because this time tomorrow you're going to see victory.
If you believe it, you're going to see it in the name of Jesus. Worship right now and watch God work on your behalf. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.